All right. So as we said, this is Thursday night Cholent. So there's actual real Cholent here. If you're online, they haven't yet worked out the technology how you can eat Cholent over the internet, but uh, we have Baruch Hashem. I finished my bowl, Baruch Hashem. Okay. Um, and uh, it's also Cholent, like we said, that every week we're going to learn something different, sample different uh, spiritual delicacies, different uh, Torah. So what we have this week, do we hand out the papers? Everyone has, okay, we have the Kedushas Levi. Kedushas Levi is Levi Yitzchok Berdichever, one of the Talmidia Magid, one of the disciples of the, the great Magid, who in turn was the disciple and successor of the Baal Shem Tov. And the Kedushas Levi is a ala parsha. It's structured as a commentary on Chumash and uh, being... A Chassidish uh, Sefer. It's a Chassidic book, so it has a lot of Pneumius Altaira, has a lot of Kabbalistic and mystical uh, concepts, but also in the style of Chassidus, very much applicable to uh, personal development, personal growth. So we're going to take a look at the first, not the whole Parshas Noyach, not everything the Kedusha Slavi has on Parshas Noyach, because I figure it's too long for us to finish together in one sitting. But we're going to look at the first uh, discourse on Parshas Nayak. And in this short little discourse, it's a page and a half. It's not, uh, not that long. It's a column and a half. It's uh, going to talk about personal responsibility for society around us. You know, what does it mean to be part of uh, a community, part of a world? It's going to talk about um, the necessity of channeling uh, lustful impulses and finding a, a healthy outlet for that. Um, and it's also going to talk about self-confidence and about the negative, or more, more than negative, the disastrous ramifications of a lack of, uh, of believing in yourself. So this is just, uh, just a heads up, a few of the concepts that we're going to learn about in this short section here. Okay. And we're gonna we're gonna learn from the text. Okay. So the, the Parsha starts off. It says, These are the descendants of Nayach. Nira, it seems, says the Bedichver, there are two types of tzaddikim who serve Hashem. What are these two types of tzaddikim? Tzadik echod. There is one type of tzaddik, yesh. He serves Hashem, Baruch Hu. is Gogol, with great passion, fiery passion. But he does it for himself. He's, he's on his own. He is not mekarev. He doesn't bring close the wicked people that they should also be servants of Hashem. So he's a servant of Hashem. That's good. That's nice. But he's not interested to make other people servants of Hashem. He's uh, he is not interested in other people having what he has. The Bedichiva doesn't say this here, but uh, the Bedichiva being the Talmud of the Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov, uh, I'll tell you, there's a there's a word from the Baal Shem Tov on the pasuk from Tilim Tzadik Tamar Yifrach Keeres Belavon in Yiskia. So. The Baal Shem Tov said, what is David and Melech bringing out in this posse? Tzadik ketama yifrach, that a tzadik will, will blossom like a date palm. Ge'er is belavon in yiske, he'll grow tall like a Lebanese 
cedar. So it's talking about two types of tzaddikim. There's a date palm tzaddik and there's a Lebanese cedar uh, tzaddik. What's the difference between the two? They're both trees and they're both tall trees. But the difference is the date palm has fruits. That's what it means. Yifrach, it blossoms, has, has fruits. Dates are very sweet, nourishing fruits, have a lot of calories, a lot of energy. The edas, the cedar doesn't have, it doesn't give fruits. There's no such thing as a cedar fruit. Uh, but it's very, very tall. And when the Shlema Melech built the base of Mikdash, she used Lebanese cedar. Lebanese cedar, that's like that, that's the best stuff. Um, and precisely why are the Lebanese cedar so tall? Because they don't make fruits. Because the energy they would have spent on the fruits, they keep for themselves and they grow taller. So the Baal Shemta says there's two types of tzaddikim. There's a tzaddik who's like a date palm. He takes some of the energy that he would have used for his own spiritual growth and he gives it to others so others can benefit. There are fruits, there's nourishment that others can benefit. And then there's a cedar. He keeps it all for himself. He's tall, he's glorious, he's, he's a marvel to look at, but it's not really benefiting anyone else. There's another expression that we have for this, this which is called, it's a Yiddish expression, a tzaddik in pelts. A tzaddik in pelts means a tzaddik in, in, in furs. Why do they call it tzaddik in furs? Because... The world is a cold world. Spiritually, cold world. Okay, so what do you do when the world's a cold world? So one thing you do, put on a coat. Oh, put on a coat, now I'm warm. Okay, shakoyach, thank you, congratulations. Who does that benefit? Only the guy who's wearing the coat. Okay, so what else? What other response do you want from me? I don't make a fire. <laughs> if you make a fire, then you're warm, and the guy sitting across from you is warm. So a tzaddik and pelts <clears throat> specifically means this type of a tzaddik, he keeps himself warm. He does. He doesn't freeze because of the spiritual coldness. He he, he stays like like the Bedichava says. His slavas. He's he's passionate. He's fiery for Hashem, but in a way, it's not benefiting anyone. Okay, let, let's let's look inside again. Um, there's another type of a tzaddik. He serves Hashem and he gets other people to serve Hashem. Kimei, for instance, who's the archetypical example of somebody who was mekad of others? Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu's whole thing was to convert people from paganism to monotheism. It's brought in the Kisvarizal. The Medichiva doesn't say where, but uh, we have our research department. So we found it in Lakute Teira. It's from the Kisvarizal, which is a misnomer, by the way, because Kisvarizal are not Kisvarizal. It's called the writings of the Arizal, but he didn't write it. You know who wrote it? Chaim Vital. Chaim Vital was the scribe. In fact, when they used to go from Tzfas to Meron to the to that to the, you know where the Rashbi used to sit with his Talmidim, so the Ari used to sit where the Rashbi would sit, and he would have Reb Chaim Vital sit where Reb Abba, Reb Abba the Tana, who was the cipher of the Zayar, he was the scribe for Rashbi, so. Chaim Vital would sit in that spot. That's like the scribe, the stenographer in the court, you know? Okay. So, yeah, Chaim Vital wrote the Kisverizal. But over here in Parshas Kisisa, says something very interesting. And you'll see why it's Parshas Kisisa. Parshas Kisisa is Cheta Egos, the sin of the golden calf. And the Bedichiva doesn't bring this. He just says that the Arizal mentions that there's a, there's a, a connection between Noyach and Moshe. But does, he doesn't spell out, <clears throat> it's very Gishmak. Um, the Arizal says that when Meshur Rabbeinu 
argued to defend the Jewish people who had just sinned. They just did the worst sin. They, they worshipped idols. So Mesha says to Hashem, if they go, I go. You're not, you're not going to get rid of them and keep me. Erase me from your book. I don't want to be part of a religion that would get rid of these guys. <clears throat> so uh, the Arizal says, Mecheni is Isis Meinayach. Mecheni, erase me. That was Mesha's bold statement of championing those people who were, you know, spiritually bankrupt at the moment. Mecheni, erase me. The same letters as Meinayach. Meinayach means the waters of Noyach. The waters of that means that the flood, Mabel is called Meinayach because he was ultimately responsible for the Mabel. <clears throat> anyway, so let's let's look what the Bidichiva says here. Like it says in Kisveri Zal, Shalzeh Nenesh Noyach. Nayach was punished for not rebuking. By rebuking, by the way, we don't mean like the shushkas and shul scream at people. Rebuking, real Torah rebuke means educating. It means working with somebody, getting them to trust you so that they'll actually, you know, take direction from you. That's what, don't, don't think re rebuking is the, the mitzvah. All the people who volunteered to do it first are usually the last people who should be doing it. Anyways... <laughs> So rebuking is with love. But he didn't do it. He didn't rebuke. So Noyach, what was his punishment? He had to come back. He was reincarnated as Meisha. And Meisha fixed it. So it doesn't say how did he fix it, but if you look in the Kisvarizal, he says over there, that bold statement, that was the tikkun for Noyach's uh, Complacency, not doing the same thing for his generation. Okay. So the Bedichur says it in a general way that Moshe used to educate people on the right path. Okay. I brings a Gemara from Kiddushin. Very interesting Gemara in Kiddushin. He says, I'll give you a little background about this Gemara because the Gemara is actually discussing a piece of Torah that we say every day. It is the piece of Torah. When we make Birkas Torah and, and we say Teresh Balpet, we say Teresh Baksav, Birkas Kehanim, and then we say, come on, you get Shalom? Give him Shalom. And uh, when we say Birkas uh, Torah, so then we say a little bit of Teresh Baksav, a little bit of Teresh Balpet. So in Teresh Balpet, we say the Mishnah from Peah, about Elu Advarim, these are the things that there's no limit. And then we say the Gemara, I think, uh, from uh, it's in Shabbos and it's in Kedushin. But the Gemara about these are the things that a person eats the fruits of it in this world, and he still has left over the main thing, the principle. He gets interest up front, but then he has the principle left over in the world to come. And why is that a chiddush? Because there's a concept of schar mitzvahs Baha'i al-maleka, that mitzvahs is not in order to have a good life. It's not, not in order. Now, who says, who says it's in order to have a good life? It's all spiritual reward, okay? But there are certain things that will benefit you here and now that will make your life better. And it says, what are these things? And it gives a list, right? And there's different versions. Is it just to bring peace between a person and his friend or also a husband and his wife? Uh, and, and and the study of Torah is against, uh, corresponds to all of this, equals tantamount to all of them. Anyway, so the background of this Gemara, Kedushin, Daf Mem, Omed Aleph, is the Gemara is asking, what's with this list? Why are these the mitzvahs on the list? So at first, it goes through and it brings Psukim 
that give proofs that each of these mitzvahs is related to some type of reward in this world, like long life, for instance. And the Gemara doesn't like this. Hold on a second. I know another mitzvah where it specifically says the reward is long life, and it's not on this list. You know what it says? Shluch HaKen. Shooing away the mother bird. So there, clearly it says long life, and it's not on this, this list. Why didn't it make the list? So first the Gemara tries to answer and says, it's not an, it's not an exhaustive list. Who says it's a complete list? Gemara says, it says Elu Advarim. <laughs> These are the things. Sounds like it's trying to make an exhaustive list of something. Maybe not what you're saying it's a list of, but it's an exhaustive list of something. So then Rava says, you know what? Let me explain it to you. Really, you know what this is talking about? It's talking about mitzvahs that are not just ritual, that are not just <clears throat> religious, but they have some social justice aspect to them. Some that they, you're, they benefit you in this world because they're tangible. You're benefiting others in this world. Keep it all the aim is you're honoring your parents. Milchasadim, you, you, you're doing kindness, charity. To, to, to help somebody who, who needs tangible help, bringing peace between a friend, uh, two friends, being pre, uh, marital harmony, peace between a husband and wife. These are tangible things. So of course, there's a tangible benefit for, for the one who does it because the person who's doing it is bringing tangible benefit by doing that mitzvah. By the way, you can ask why, why Talmud Torah? So then before Shem explained, because if you're learning properly, you have to teach. So if you're teaching, you're benefiting others. Okay. At any rate, so... Shooing away the mother bird, you know, that's, not, that's not social justice, it's not interpersonal relationships. Maybe you know, it's animal rights, but it's, you're not doing anything for a person. All of these mitzvahs, you're benefiting people. So it says that that's the point. The point is mitzvahs that benefit people. It's not just that you're doing something for Hashem because Hashem said so, which is a good enough reason, but it's, it's, it's a double whammy. Hashem said so, and you're benefiting people. And so then the Gemara says, this is what it means. Actually, I have the Gemara, where it brings a posik. Yeah. So it brings up an interesting posik that refers to, it uses an interesting lotion, a tzaddik ki toiv, a tzaddik who is good. And the Gemara asks, what other tzaddik is there than a tzaddik who is good? That's a redundancy. It's like wet water. Good tzaddik, you know. So it says, no, 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 not true. There's a tzaddik who's good and a tzaddik who's bad. Relatively speaking, obviously he's still a tzaddik. But what does it mean, relatively speaking, a tzaddik who's good and a tzaddik who's bad? So it says, a tzaddik ki toiv means he's toiv l'shamayim v'toiv l'briyais. He's good to heaven and he's good to people. And then it actually brings the next pasuk, which talks about a rasha ra. And asks the question, well, rasha ra is also redundant. But what other, rasha ra, a wicked, wicked person. Well, you're repeating yourself. He says, no, there's something called a rasha ra. There's something called a rasha toif. A rasha ra is a person, he's not good to God, he's not good to people. A rasha ra, never. A rasha toif, okay, so he's not from. But you know what? He's a mensch. So he's still a Russia. No, we can't help. We can't help right now with the with that category. We'll try to educate him, bring him out of it. But the point is, even now he could be a Russia, but he's a Russia toy. He's a good person. Okay. So this is the Gemara the the brings over here. So he says like this: Like Chazal say, Kedushin Daf Memo Aleph. Like I told you, Tevla Shemaim Vetevla Briyais. 
כי זה הצדק של עבד השם המקרבס הראשון, גם כן ליש עבדי השם, נקרא טוב לשמיים, משום שהוא עבד הבריא לברוך הוא. וטוב לבריאס גם כן בשביל שהוא מקרב הבריאס לעבד השם. So this צדק טוב is one who serves Hashem, so he's טוב לשמיים, and he helps out people that they should also come close to Hashem, so he's called טוב לבריאס. Okay, so that's the best possible way to be. צדק טוב, טוב לשמיים וטוב לבריאס. אבל נייח, בת נייח. לא יהיה מקרב הבריאס לעבד השם כנאל. He did not bring... the people of his generation close to Hashem. V'yidu'a ma'a she'a omre chazal. B'dishavu brings another Gemara, Sanhedrin, da'af tzadik tesomet beis. Kol ha'malamed ben chavede teira ki'ilu yeladei. Anyone who teaches his friend's child teira, it's as if he, the teacher, gave birth to him, the student. Your student is like your child. Okay, fine, why is that important here? So we find by Avram Avinu, it says, The souls that they made in Choron. Choron is the place where they lived before they came to Eretz Canaan. So what does it mean, the souls that they made? The souls that they made, that sounds like giving somebody life. It sounds like a mother and a father bringing somebody into, into the world. But it's not referring to their children. In fact, they didn't have children yet. <laughs> it's referring to the, the people they were makariv. So what do we see here? Somebody who has students, who has Talmidim, Mushpayim, people who are his spiritual uh, disciples, are his children. Tater considers them his children. So this is what it means. It wasn't just, uh, you know, these, these were Avram and Sarah's Balabatim. No, this was their family. These were their spiritual children. Okay. Nimtza Lefiza, Avram Avinu Shehoyim Megayar Gerim Harbe. It's an interesting thing. By Avram Avinu, it doesn't say, but it says, you know why? It's an exclusionary statement. It says these are the, the, the disciples, not, forget, these are the children of Noyach, the offspring of Noyach, and then names his three biological children to make a statement. These were the only children he had. Not like Avram Avinu, who had many, many spiritual children. Noyach didn't have that. You have to read the whole thing as one description. When it says he was a tzaddik, he was per perfect in his generation, and these are his offspring, it's basically describing, it's all one Indian, it's one concept. It's saying, you want to know what type of a tzaddik he was? He was insular, and he lacked influence to the extent that the only children he had were the three biological children his wife gave birth to for him. These are his only descendants. Now, another thing it says about Nayak in these, in these verses, and we're going to parse these words to also be related to the same concept. So the reason for all this, Nayak walked with God. What does that mean? Nayak walked with God. It means to say, Nayak walked only with God. It was very from. He walked with God. 
but he only he, he walked only with God. He wasn't a man of the people. He didn't relate to people. He didn't care about people. It wasn't his. It wasn't his interest. They say back in the shtetl, you know, they had animals around. You know, Jews had you know a goat or a sheep or whatever you had. So one of the problems that used to come up is when you have a bechayer. A bechayer is uh, it, it's, it's the firstborn of the flock, so it's automatically holy. It has to be a korban. To being a sacrifice, we don't we can't bring it as a we don't have a base of English, we can't bring it as a sacrifice. So, what do you do? You do nothing, you just leave it. And not only do you do nothing with it, you're not allowed to touch it because you're not supposed to get any use from it, so you can't comb it because that's like shearing it. So, basically, they would have these goats like once once a season, I guess you have a bachayer who you can't touch it, so its fur would just grow and grow and get yeah, exactly, and get all like matted. And it would it would stink. It would be you know, and it would and nobody could touch it because you, you could be, put in a mum, you could disfigure it, which which is a which is an aveda, it's a prohibition. So they'd have these big stinky goats who'd be running around the shtetl wreaking havoc, and nobody could touch it. You couldn't you know couldn't even shoo it away. They just had to let it run riot. So they say that the kids used to say to the bechayer, bechayer, you're holy, but you stink. <laughs> you're holy, but you stink. Right? Okay. Fine. So, Nayach walked with God. Nayach walked only with God. And he was the only one walking with God. He only walked with God, and he was the only one walking with God. He didn't associate with other people, to make them servants of Hashem Baruch that's why it says again, had three children. Here they are, three biological children, and that's it. In other words, think about a guy, he never had any influence on anyone except for the fact that he had three kids. Now it makes a lot of sense. It says, these are the offspring of Neuch. This is it, only these. This is the explanation. No, actually, the next part. Okay, and this is the explanation of another thing. Another thing. So another thing we read about Noyach. Noyach found favor in Hashem's eyes. Simple title. Hashem liked Noyach. There's something he liked about him. I like that guy. Something I like about him. It should have said, Why does it say Noyach found favor in Hashem's eyes? It should have said Noyach was favorable in Hashem's eyes. It goes very well according to what we just learned. Can you do it? Is no. The people of that generation of the flood were perverse. Now, I know they were under a lot of different sins. In fact, Rashi tells us at the end of Parshish Barashish that the thing that sealed the deal was that they were stealing from each other. But uh, in addition to being uh, crooks, they were also uh, immoral. And uh, we know that they didn't hold themselves back uh, as far as uh, sanctifying relations. That was like completely, um, everything was absolute wanton abandon at that time. They did whatever they wanted to do with, uh, you know, no no standards, no nothing, no restrictions. So, Shtufezima, 
They were, they were steeped in, in lewdness, in, in perversity. Okay, so that was the generation of that time. The Noyach Tzadik Tomin, Noyach was a pure Tzadik. What does it mean, Noyach was a pure Tzadik? It means he wasn't steeped in lewdness. He was chaste. He was chaste. He wasn't involved in those types of Averis. In other words, what did he do? He elevated Chain. What Chain? Chain can also mean attraction. So he took the attraction that a person feels that leads to, if it's not checked properly, that leads to immorality. He took that attraction. He was mile. He elevated. He sanctified. I guess it means he was a good husband. I guess it means his intimate life was was good. Okay. The point is that Noach elevated the chain, that attraction. And now conversely, the Deiramabal took that chain and they turned it into klippa. It's important to note, they turned it into klippa. Not that that attraction is inherently an evil thing. I know a lot of, you know, religious people, they, they, they say that, that that desire is inherently evil. It's not inherently evil, it's just a desire. In fact, it's called It is the desire which is mixed with good and bad. It's from the Chet Eitzadas, from the sin of the tree of of knowledge. Before that, there was no such thing as, as attraction. It was just a mitzvah. Be fruitful and multiply. You just do it like, like, you're, like you're putting on tefillin. Okay, so you, you be fruitful and multiply. So uh, Woody Allen has a joke in his stand-up routine. He used to, he used to do stand-up back in the, in the 60s. There's a recording of it. He says, I used to have a God complex. Driving, driving around, a guy ran into me. I got out of the car and I told him, be fruitful and multiply. Not in those exact words. So, anyways. <laughs> Adam and Eve, they used to do it because it's a mitzvah, right? And then they ate from the tree of knowledge, and then all of a sudden they realized, oh, life hack. You know, you can turn this into a hobby. But the point is, the chain itself, the attraction itself, is not inherently klippo. It's also not inherently Kedusha. By the way, we have a term for the Klippas Noiga in Kabbalah. We call it the intermediate, uh, the, the glowing husk, because even though there's a husk on it, but you can it's sort of translucent. You can see through it. You can see the, 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 the spiritual spark. So uh, figuratively, I'm saying, metaphorically speaking. So Noyach took this human desire, and he elevated it. He sanctified it. The rest of his generation... They dragged it down into the dirt and they used it, you know, in the in the most perverse way. Okay. Neich didn't teach them. He should have taught them. He should have uh, given Tadas Mishpacha classes. He didn't give Tadas Mishpacha classes, so instead of there being Memso on the mikvah, there was 40 days of, that's my own Kiddush, by the way, I'm making that up, but it's 40 days of uh, rain. You know that that 40 saw in a mikvah corresponds to the, 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 or rather, for the contrary, the 40 days of rain corresponds to the, the 40 measures of water in a mikvah because the mikvah, the, the mabel, the, the flood was supposed to be metahir, it was supposed to uh, cleanse the earth. So anyways, if he would have given them, I uh, would have taken the, them to a mikvah tour, so then there would have had to be a mabel to uh, to wipe everyone out. So this is what it means. V'noyach motzachin found this attraction, he, he found it and he lifted it up. In Hashem's eyes, meaning he made it sanctified. 
He saw that there's this desire that exists in the world, a very powerful desire. And he figured out how to make it desirable to Hashem, how to do it in a, in a holy way. He elevated But he only did it in Hashem's eyes. So his private, personal, intimate life was clean. That's it. But he didn't teach other people how to sanctify themselves in their intimate lives, and they became rampantly perverse. So let's let's look more meticulously into a commentary that Rashi says. Now we're going to another another uh, thought here. Noach was of little faith. He was one of those of little faith. How's that possible? You told me he's a tzaddik. And after you told me he's very from. You told me he's very into spirituality. You told me he's very connected to Hashem. You tell me he has little faith. I, I would think having faith is like one of the most basic uh, qualities of a spiritual person. You tell me he's so spiritual. In fact, he didn't have anything to do with people. He was all into God. He wasn't into people. Oh, but he had little faith. It's like incongruous. Paradox. Doesn't make sense. So listen to what the Badechava says. What does it mean he had little faith? Total curveball here. Totally unexpected. It means he has little faith. Okay, but you gotta you gotta follow the buildup. The buildup is Gavaldic. Okay, how is this possible? Torah tells us he was a tzaddik. So how did he have little faith? Another question, and you see this other question is actually the answer, <laughs> which any good question actually has, has the seeds of the answer. So another question. Okay, we already were told that he didn't educate. He didn't open a Chabad house. Fine, he didn't. But why didn't he daven? Okay, he was a spiritual guy. He only liked to talk to God. He didn't talk to people. I don't want to go on Mitzrayim. I don't want to ask people, excuse me, sir, you Jewish, do you put on tefillin? I only want to daven all day. Okay, fine. So at least daven that the guy should put on tefillin. <laughs> you don't want to talk to people, at least when you're talking to Hashem, put in a good word for the rest of us. So why didn't he daven to be mavatal exeded to nullify the decree? Novi levoy. Let's come and explain like this. There's two types of tzaddikim. You can say, hold on a second. This is where we start. Two types of tzaddikim. There's another two types of tzaddikim. There's another two types of tzaddikim. There's two types of tzaddikim. She'ev dem abeda who serve Hashem. Yesh tzaddik she'ev abeda ve'en le'cheshek rak li'ez ev abeda. He serves Hashem, he only wants to serve Hashem. And he believes Hashem runs the world however he wants. Like the sages say, the Gemara Mayid Cotton. It's an interesting Gemara over there. The Gemara is looking at this Postic that's speaking about the qualities of Jewish leaders, talking about David Amalek. And it says, he's Maishal Bayyira Salakim. Maishal Bayyira Salakim, you could say, he rules in a God-fearing way. Or you could say, Maishal Bayyira Salakim, he rules over God-fearingness. And the Gemara actually says, the Gemara then might cut and says, the Abishta says, me Maishal B. Who rules over me? Hashem is speaking in the first person in this Gemara. Me Maishal B. He says, Ani Maishal Allah Adam. I rule over humanity. Me Maishal B. Who, who rules over me? And the Gemara answers, Tzadik. Sha'ani I make a decree, and the Tzadik comes and he nullifies the decree. 
So it's Meishel B. So there's a Gemara. It's a Gemara. I mean, it's not the, you know, some, uh, you know, Hasidic Rabbi story. This is a, a, a Gemara made cotton. Tzadik Meishel be Yiddish Elokim. Me Meishel B. Who rules over me? Hashem asks. Tzadik, the Tzadik is a Kaddish Baruch Hu Gezer. A Tzadik Mevatel Gezer on the Teva. Hashem makes a decree. And uh, the Tzadik comes and he gets rid of it. He says, uh-uh, no, not going to let it. So that's one type of type of tzaddik. Yish tzaddik echod, and there's another type of a tzaddik. He serves Hashem, but he has low self-esteem. He doesn't think well of himself. He thinks in his heart. Who am I to daven to nullify one of God's decrees? So he doesn't have it. He says there's no point, so he doesn't do it. There's a Gemara Sanhedrin, that's how base, on base, that says that Nebuchadnezzar, Russia, the evil king, Babylonian king, who destroyed the first base of Mikdash. He tried to sing praises of God that would have put to shame the praises of King David. And, and, and you know the only thing that stopped him, the Gemara says, an angel came and hit him on the mouth. There's different uh, Mepharshim that explain what does that mean. So one which is nice is uh, you're singing praises of Hashem now because you're going around, you know, conquering the whole world. But if you get slapped on the mouth, you experience a little pain. Are you going to still praise Hashem? When you get a paper cut, are you going to, are you going to still praise? But the, the, the point is that he was stopped from praising Hashem because the praises he was saying were getting close, dangerously close, to putting to shame the praises of David Amalek. David Amalek wrote a whole book of praises called Tehillim. Tehillim means praises. And the praises that Nebuchadnezzar was saying were getting dangerously close to surpassing David's praises of Hashem, so the angel stopped him. Was he trying to do that purposely? Was he trying to outdo David? Trying to outdo David? Yeah, did you know the quote behind it? He thought, I'm going to reach this level. Most of the fact he was mocking up and bore it like this. Right. You're the homeless source. He tapped into perhaps the secrets of of connection, connectivity, or creativity of that. Right. Was it trying, or was it just by chance we wanted to stop him? I'm just asking if it was by chance he was there, or was it... So, the, the deal that he, was, he knew what he was doing? It's always the question with these, like, the mechanics of what he was evilly trying to accomplish. Did Lovin understand? So I don't know. I don't know. Billum understood. We know that. Okay. Maybe Billum. Billum, yeah. yeah. But did Nebuchadnezzar understand exactly what he was doing? I don't know. I don't know. But what was he doing? So the Bedechev says, what was he doing? It wasn't just that he was going to win the Grammy and David Amalek was, you know, was going to be the runner-up. That's, that's not just what it means. He's going to have the hit song, the number one song on the billboard. That Listen to what he says. He was about to sing songs that would have put to shame the, the, the songs of David Shagina. What does it mean to put to shame? Well, <clears throat> now, 
Osi Shaper. So it goes very well according to what we just learned. Nebuchadnezzar was a big Rasha, to put it mildly. And he destroyed the first temple. He understood. Okay, so there it says he understood something. What did he understand? That a tzaddik can get up, and even when Hashem is angry, and Hashem destroys the Beis HaMikdash, but a tzaddik can get up and reverse it. A tzaddik can change the Midas HaDin to the Midas HaRachim. It can change Hashem's severity into Hashem's compassion. So Nebuchadnezzar was afraid. Shema tzaddik. Maybe a tzaddik's going to get up. The tzaddik will get up and daven to build the Beis HaMikdash. Lochein Amr, therefore he said, and this is a Pasuk in Daniel, and he says a praise of Hashem. Oh, Hashem, you're so great. That means, like, according to his will, he does his will in the heavens and on the earth. I'm praising Hashem. Hashem's so great. Nothing can stop him in the heavens. Nothing can stop him on the earth. Yeah, it's a nice praise. You know what the, the subtext, the, the, the meta text was? The implication was, no one can stop Hashem. Tzaddik can't be mavatal d'gzeda. And he was going to so eloquently express this as some type of a praise of Hashem that it was dangerously close to being like, oh, Taka, yeah, that's right. You're actually right. Yeah, nobody can stop Hashem. Yeah. Hashem does his will in the world. And uh, Tzaddikim can't do anything to nullify. This was the thought of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what it says. Nebuchadnezzar came dangerously close where he sought to sing songs that would surpass or put to shame the songs of David. That means to say, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to sing songs to Hashem that made the opposite point as David's songs. David said, Hashem does the will of those who fear him. So David is saying that Tzaddik does have power, that Hashem does the will, is compelled to do the will of those who fear him. That Hashem runs the world according to the will of the Tzaddikim. He wanted the exact opposite. So he said, you know what I better do? David so eloquently composed these songs that say that tzaddikim can be mavatal Hashem's gzeda. I'm going to make even more eloquent songs from an evil place that say, no, tzaddikim cannot be mavatal. Let's get back to Noyach here. Yes, he was a great big tzaddik. He was tomim. It was pure, sincere. However, he was very small in his own eyes. He didn't believe that he had this power as a tzaddik to daven and to make Hashem do differently. To the contrary. He says, you know what? I'm just like the rest of them. I'm no better than them. Vayacheshev used to think, Im ani bateva, Hey, I'm going to get saved. Hashem told me build an ark, so I know I'm surviving this thing. 
I'm no better than them. I'm getting saved. I'm no better than them. Hey, my God, can you know, it's, they'll also get saved somehow. I don't know, an ark or something. They'll, they'll, they'll learn how to fly. I don't know, somehow they'll, they'll be okay. If I'm okay, they'll be okay. So he didn't dive in for his generation. That's what Asha says. Noyach was of little faith. What does it mean he was of little faith? Not religious faith. Not that he had little faith in Hashem. In himself. He had little faith in himself. He didn't think he was a tzaddik. He didn't think that he could nullify God's decree. He did not think of himself as anything. So for all of his selflessness and his supposed humility, he got the world destroyed. Could that be just because he saw God more at that time? Like they say that there was just a different level of... Yeah, but Avraham Avinu also saw God. And the angels used to appear, to appear to him. And he didn't fall for that. And when God said, I'm going to wipe out uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't say, oh, who am I to disagree? Who am I? It was different personality types. Noyach had this deficiency. And that's why he had to come back as Maisha. Maisha didn't have that problem. Maisha is the only one who saw Hashem face to face. So you would think maybe he'd be blown away, be overwhelmed by God. No, quite to the contrary. <laughs> You're going to punish them? Get rid of me. Right? So Maisha didn't have that problem. Maisha was the tikkun. He was the rectification of the soul of Naya. Why was the world saved from Noah? But it wasn't. The point is the, the world wasn't. The world, the planet. But the people weren't saved. The people weren't saved. Everything, though, that still exists comes from him. Okay, that's a bitty avid. So plan B, we restarted it. But the point is that if Noyach would have been like Avram or like Moshe, so it wouldn't have had to been a flood. It wouldn't have to wipe out all those people. And he would have taught them to stop being perverse. And he would have taught them to, to be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't think he could... First of all, we're saying two things. First of all, he wasn't interested in that. I'm a religious guy. I like to daven. I'm not, I, don't, I don't talk to people. I'm not, I'm not social. That was one issue. Okay, fine. So at least daven for them. Who am I? I we, we all know God wants to wipe out the world. Uh, he already said he's going to do it. So that's it. We got to let it go. All right, let's finish up here. This is what it means. The verse, interesting. Hashem says, I hereby, he didn't, I hereby, that's what the Chazan says, right? Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. I hereby, I'm going to destroy the world. What, what, is, what is this like proclamation? I hereby will destroy the world. I'm going to do my will right now. It's like almost like Hashem is begging and saying, listen, guys, this is what I'm doing unilaterally. Nobody's objected to it. Hint, hint. Nobody's objected. No one tried to stop me. Because no tzaddik got up to try to nullify the decree. So Hashem is saying, I'm doing this completely unilaterally. You know, that's why I'm destroying the world. And then afterwards, Omer, he said, Make him as brisi itchem. I hereby, hinini, I hereby uphold my covenant with you not to destroy the world. Again, unilaterally. This wasn't the product of a negotiation. Nobody came to me and said, what can we work out? Can we make a, can we make a peace treaty? No. 
Hashem is like, I unilaterally destroyed and I unilaterally made a covenant not to destroy anyone. I was totally on my own. I didn't have anyone to talk to. Nobody was arguing with me because the Jews didn't exist yet. So there was nobody. <laughs> That's what it means. Avram Avinu was the first Jew. He was the first one to argue with God. Nayak, he was, Nayak was a religious guy. He didn't, God forbid, you know. Okay. Hashem is saying, I am making a covenant not to destroy the world, even though there wasn't a tzaddik who came and nullified it. I just unilaterally, I had to work with myself. I had no one else to work with. I'm going to make a covenant not to destroy the world anymore, but not as a result that anybody appealed to me and asked me to make, to make this agreement. Anyways, that's the end of that section. And uh, we got a lot of uh, food for thought there, a lot of uh, things you could apply, be, uh, be involved with others. You know, re religious duty is not an excuse to be only Tevla Shemaim. You got to be the Tevla Briyais. We have here an idea of Noyach Motzechein, Bein Hashem. We got to elevate that part of our lives. And we have uh, an idea about the importance of spiritual self-esteem, not to underestimate yourself. Okay. All right, fine. Yeah.